If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you will be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. What do you do when the world seems to be spiraling out of control? If you isolate and hunker down, you're not alone. But is that what God wants? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah shares the biblical attitude believers ought to embody, especially during difficult times. From the series, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, here's David to introduce today's message, Stay Compassionate. And I want to thank you for joining us today. You have jumped into a series that we just started. This is lesson number two in the 10 lessons. Each lesson has two parts, so there's 20-some lessons during the month of April, but you're at the very beginning, and uh, if this is the first time you've ever listened to Turning Point on the radio, welcome to our daily study of the Scripture. We're in the midst of a series now that we have called Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, Certain Hope in Uncertain Times. As I mentioned to you a couple of days ago, this series is built around the admonitions that are given to us in the Bible in conjunction with the truth of the coming again of Christ. Um, It answers the question that prophecy is not um, practical. It is very practical. And all of the prophetic utterances of the Bible seem to be in some way connected to instruction about how we live in the meantime. That's true. For the lesson we're about to study, and we'll get there in just a moment, we are very thankful for your presence, and we want to give you something that we think will help you. Without any uh, conditions, you don't have to send anything, don't have to do anything, if you'll just let us do this, we'd love to send you the focus cards for this series. The focus cards are really great because they're like cliff notes of every message. On the back of the card is the summary of what the message is about, and at the bottom is the key verse that uh, you should have. And these cards you can carry with you. They're four by six, so they're easy to take along. And you can not only review the series, you can review the verses, but you can be reminded of God's wonderful care for you during these uncertain days. If you'll just ask for the cards when you call or write, whenever you get in touch with us, just say, please send me the unshakable confidence cards. They'll be on their way to you before you know it, and you will have uh, the privilege of using these tools for your own spiritual life and to help others. Well, let's get started right now with part one of lesson two, how to stay compassionate during uncertain times. It was the Monday of Thanksgiving week, and a woman was at Starbucks drive-in window. She was picking up her morning beverage. As she reached for her pocketbook, some inspirational quirk hit her and inspired her to do something extravagant. She paid for the customer behind her, someone she didn't even know. That driver, needless to say, was startled and sufficiently moved to follow suit. He paid for the driver behind him. And in the end, 109 people had gotten in on the fun and paid for the next customer's coffee. 
An employee went to the local TV station and told them what had happened, and it caught the evening news, and it began to create the fever throughout the community. And someone wrote a little article about it, and it had as the first line, we're all in this economy thing together, so what does it hurt if we help each other once in a while? Well, you might think that the pay it forward principle began in some quirk at a Starbucks, but really it goes back quite a ways. The pay it forward principle is traced as far back as 1784 when Benjamin Franklin advocated progressive kindness. He received what used to be called a begging letter. And it came from a man who had some serious financial need. And Franklin responded to the letter with these words. He said, I do not pretend to give such a sum. I only lend it to you. When you meet another honest man in similar distress, you must pay me by lending the sum to him. And I hope it may go through many hands before it meets some knave that will stop its progress. Being a part of a good works chain is a really fun thing. And some of you have heard me tell the story similar to that, that one day I pulled into a McDonald's and I had cut a lady off by going in front of her to go into McDonald's. I was in one of those absent-minded moments that I have sometimes when I drive Only God knows how I've survived all these years, but I must have a guardian angel riding with me. And I didn't know I had cut her off, but she knew I had cut her off. And she was furious. And I could see her in my rearview mirror, and she was just cussing a blue streak. She was calling me everything she could think of. She had her window down. She was actually shouting at me. And I didn't know what to do, but I had this idea. So when I got to the window, I said, I don't know who this lady is behind me, but has she ordered? She says, well, how much it cost? She told me, I said, I'd like to buy her breakfast. So I bought her breakfast, and then I couldn't help myself. I waited. I pulled forward, and I stopped, and I watched in the mirror. She started to argue with the woman about, you know, you could tell. And I know the people in the store, so they told me about it later. And then she just went away, and she didn't know what to do. How is she going to cuss me out anymore? I just bought her breakfast. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And it fits the principle we're going to look at in a few moments that talks about overcoming evil with good. Did you know you can do that? Well, when the bottom falls out of our economy like it has, we usually see two equal and opposite reactions to that happening. One is the hardening of our hearts, fueled by cynicism and despair. And we come up with thoughts like this, well, it's time now for me to take care of my own. The rest of you are on your own. I'm locking the door and hunkering down. Wake me up when the recession is over. I'll be sleeping with my wallet under my pillow. (laughs) But there's an alternative response as well. It's the behavior you should expect from a child of God. We should be different than the world around us. During That nightmarish week when global stock markets declined by $7 trillion, Time magazine asked Christian author Philip Yancey for his take on how Christians should pray at such times. Yancey said the first part is simple. Simply pray, help. He said that he had stopped editing his prayers for sophistication and the ring of maturity because God wants us just to be ourselves. Then he explained that the second stage was that of listening to God in meditation and reflection. The question here would be, what can I learn from the situation that I find myself in right now? And one possible lesson, said Yancey, would be that we're foolish when we place our ultimate trust in governments and in economies. Can I get a witness? (laughs) If we haven't learned that by now, we should have learned it. And I don't know what it'll take to teach us if we haven't learned it this time around. 
The third stage, said Yancey in the magazine, was to ask God for help in taking our eyes off of our problems in order to look with compassion on the truly desperate around us. He concluded with this paragraph. What a testimony it would be if Christians resolved to increase their giving to build houses for the poor, combat AIDS in Africa, and announce kingdom values to a decadent, celebrity-driven culture. Such a response, he said, defies all logic and all common sense unless we take seriously the moral of Jesus' simple tale about building houses on a sure foundation. Do you hear what Yancey said? We don't take the response that everybody else does as followers of Christ. When we're trying to figure out how we can live with confidence in a chaotic world, we do what people don't expect us to do. And it's our glory moment, our moment to shine when trouble comes. Yes, it's clear that our next step forward in tough times is to protect and extend our spirit of compassion. And that's what Paul was writing about. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. And here's what it says. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. Please underline that last phrase. Remember, we're taking our cues from passages that talk about Jesus coming back to this earth. And the last phrase says this, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of his saints. That reminds us that promises of his return contain principles of how to live in the meantime. Now, It's Paul's context for the instruction that he gives here. And he doesn't advise the Thessalonians to shut everything down because they're going through trouble, and they were. He doesn't tell them to hunker down and take care of themselves, to sit patiently in their pews until the wonderful day when the Lord returns. Not in the least. He consistently commands believers to be busy in the interim period. And what are we supposed to be doing? kingdom business. And what is kingdom business? Caring for one another, loving one another, showing compassion to those who need a touch of compassion from those who know the Lord. And so the second thing I want you to learn in the strategies for how to live with confidence is this. You need to stay calm, but part of the way you stay calm is by staying compassionate. Paul understood the discouragement of the Thessalonian people. But he wants to bolster his friends up and keep them from giving in to self-pity. And how do you keep from getting into self-pity? You get your eyes off of yourself. Self-pity is about pitying yourself. And if all you do is look at yourself and all of your problems, when everything seems like it's crashing down around you, it won't be long before you will be in a deep depression. Paul teaches us, as he writes to the Thessalonian believers, that there's a better way. He doesn't take any of the easy ways. He tells us that we are to be more loving and compassionate toward one another. And even though it seems so counterintuitive to what's going on in our world today, it's the difference that Christ makes in all of our lives. 
We should be different than everybody else. We shouldn't face the crisis like everyone around us. If we know Jesus, if we are followers of Christ, there should be a creative uniqueness about who we are in the midst of it all. Have you ever stopped to think for a moment that the purpose of your real struggles at any given moment might be the heart of compassion that God wants to build within you? That when you start to hurt a little bit, you get in touch with what it means to hurt, and all of a sudden you look around and you see a lot of people are hurting, and some of them are hurting a lot worse than you are, than we are. So after you stay calm, stay compassionate. Now, let's take apart this passage that we've opened to. Let me give you a little outline, and we'll walk our way through it, and hopefully it will give us some real information to help us as we go forward. First of all, let's talk about the essence of compassion. What is compassion? Well, Psalm 116, verse 5 says, The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Lamentation says, His compassions fail not. And let me remind you that Lamentations is a book of tears, a book of crying, a book of sorrow. And out of this book of tears and crying and sorrow, Jeremiah reminds us that the God we serve is a God whose compassions never fail. Not long ago, I read an article that was in Campus Life magazine that had a great story to illustrate how we can function as believers and be uniquely different in such difficult times. The author of the story Shannon Elthridge remembers a terrible day when she was in the 11th grade. She was attempting, now believe this, you can't believe this unless you have a teenage daughter. She was attempting to apply lipstick while driving on a bumpy country road. And she struck and killed a bicyclist. That was the beginning of her nightmare. What stunned her most was what the victim's husband said upon being told that he has lost his wife. His first question was, how is the girl? Was she hurt? It was inconceivable that anyone could take such a devastating blow and then have immediate concern for the author of the tragedy. The night before the funeral, she forced herself to visit the bereaved husband. And she writes, as I entered the home, I looked down the entry corridor to see a big, burly, middle-aged man coming toward me, not with animosity in his eyes, but with his arms opened wide. The man was a Wycliffe Bible translator named Gary Jarster. He gave her a large, compassionate embrace, and she dissolved into tears. Over and over, she just wept the words, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Jarsfer spoke to Etheridge about the life and legacy of his beloved wife. He added, God wants to strengthen you through this. He wants this to change you. As a matter of fact, he said, I'm passing Marjorie's legacy of being a godly woman onto you. I want you to love Jesus without limits, just like my wife did. Gary insisted that all charges against the distraught 11th grader be dropped and then he began to look out for her and encourage her in the development of her life. Etheridge writes, Gary's merciful actions along with his challenging words to me that night before his wife's funeral would be my source of strength and comfort for years to come. And the logic of all of that just defies us, doesn't it? We think, how could a person do that? Can you do that in the energy of the flesh? I don't think so. But when God's compassionate love begins to fill your heart, 
You can do things nobody else can do. And it's really not you doing it, isn't it? It's somebody else doing it through you. The logic of this behavior is never found in the world. But you find it in the Bible. It's in the Word of God that you learn that kind of love. The love capable of such abounding compassion is never found within us. It's only in Christ. Human nature dictates that we act very differently when things go wrong, doesn't it? Human nature says we go inward and we look to ourselves, and the Spirit encourages us to go outward and become all the more loving and all the more forgiving, including forgiving oneself. Therefore, when the men and women of Thessalonica, to whom Paul is writing this letter, are being treated terribly just because they love and worship the true God, Paul doesn't pray that they will be stronger in fighting back. He prays that God will give them a greater ability to love the people who are doing these terrible things to them. He's teaching them to do what Jesus teaches us to do. In the book of Matthew, in our Lord's great sermon, this is what he said. He said, love your enemies. And what's the rest of it? Bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. What is he saying? Go back and read that passage again. and Notice the verbs. What are we told to do when things aren't going our way? Well, you're to love your enemies. You're to bless those who curse you. You're to do good to those who hate you. And you're to pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Why? Because when you do that, you look like your father must be God. Isn't that what it says? When you do that, you give away the fact that you are related to a father in heaven who is just like that. That's what he did. That's how he lived in the person of Jesus Christ, his son. So the essence of identifying with someone and loving them, that's all about God. That's who he is. And when we act like that, we act like God. When we act like that, it looks like we belong to him, like he's our father and we're his children. And Gary Jofser is a perfect example. He had his own grief to handle, but he identified with the very person who would have been the object of anyone else's bitterness. He empathized with Shannon Etheridge. He felt her pain, even as he had plenty of his own pain. He took up her cross, making sure that her tragedy could be turned into triumph. Don't you think the world could use a little more love like that? Especially in this day. Have you noticed, I've been watching this carefully. Ever since all this financial stuff happened, everybody's closing in, man, hunkering down, pulling the moat in behind them, buying their food at the grocery store, never going out to eat, don't see anybody, don't ask any questions, just make sure you and yours gets through this thing. That's the way the world would respond to such a time. But we who are Christians, we have to be different. God has made us for a time like this. These are our finest hours. These are our greatest opportunities. God and only God can give us this love. Left to ourselves, we'd make a hopeless mess of every situation we find ourselves in. This is why we can't be too upset. Listen, we can't be too upset when non-believing people act the way they do. I get kind of worried about Christians. They're always worried about how non-believing people are acting. How are they acting? Just like you would expect them to act. Non-believers act like non-believers, right? So what's so big deal about that? Why get all upset about that? That's the way you used to act before Jesus came into your life. 
So we shouldn't get so upset about non-believers acting like non-believers. What kills me is when believers start acting that way. When we just sort of pattern our lives after what everybody else is doing. What God wants from us, from you and from me, in the midst of this crisis we're facing, is compassion. Broken-hearted compassion that sees the hurts of those around us as an invitation to express God's love in a meaningful act of kindness. The essence of compassion is reaching out to those who cannot help themselves and helping them and being the arms and the hands of Jesus in their life. Now let's talk about the expression of compassion. Let's think about the focus of all of this. And if you look down at your Bibles, you notice there's kind of two parts of the compassion we're required to observe when we're going through a crisis. The requirement, first of all, is that we're to love one another. If you look at the passage, it says, And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another. And John thirteen thirty four says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you love one another. And that just pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Except we've left out a little part of the verse we started to read. For 1 Thessalonians three twelve says, May the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another. What's the next three words, class? And to all. This is not about just what we do when we're with our friends at church. This is what we're supposed to do all the time with everybody. There's a basic standard for love in the Bible, and here it is. 1 John four twenty and 21. We know this verse well, but listen to it again in this context. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how in the world can he love God whom he hasn't seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. That's all about loving one another. You know, some people aren't very nice in church sometimes. And we have all these church fights. And everywhere I go, people tell me about the latest split in their church. And these people are going over here and these people are going there. They don't like each other. They're fighting over all kinds of stupid things. And I just want to say, you know, why don't you just read the Bible? Why don't you just read what God says? God says that if we are brothers and we can't love each other who we've seen, how are we going to say we love God and we haven't ever seen him? So the standard for love is that we love one another. We're to love one another. That's the requirement. And the result is set forth is this, John 13, 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. How do they know we're Christians? By our love for one another. All that is saying is that whether we know it or not, friends, people are watching and they watch more closely when they know that we are people of faith. I don't know if you know this, but I want to announce something to you. This may be a heads up for all of you. You're in a crisis right now like we've never been in this nation, and you are being watched. You're being watched by a lot of folks who understand that you claim to be a Christ follower, and they want to know how you deal with stuff like this, and what is your way of handling the crisis, and where is your compassion for the people around you? We need to be men and women of compassion in a very critical and serious time in our culture. People are watching, and they watch closely, and they have a right to watch. It is their right to watch us to see if we are who we claim to be. Now, the biblical standard is this. Love one another, but now we come to this difficult part. The difficult part is that we're not only to love one another, but we're to love everybody. Hmm. 
And that includes your enemies. Did you know that? (laughs) Yeah, it does. It includes people who aren't loving to you. And I have to be honest with you, I deal with this periodically. I preached a rather controversial sermon last week in my church, and I got some really unloving letters in response to that. And I check my spirit when that happens, because what do we want to do when somebody does something that's hurtful to us? We want to hurt them. That's not God's way. And uh, so we're in this together as we learn how to uh, stay compassionate when things are going wrong. Well, uh, we're going to finish up this lesson tomorrow. And then on Friday, uh, the lesson is entitled Stay Constructive. So far, stay calm, stay compassionate, stay constructive. How to live your life in a chaotic world and have confidence in doing it. That's the message of this series. Don't forget, you can get the book with all of the material that we're discussing on the air. Uh, The book is available to you for a gift of any size during the month of April to Turning Point. When you send your gift, simply ask for it and we'll send it to you. Your gift will be used exclusively for airtime and production so that we maintain strength and stability going forward uh, with our radio program that reaches so many people. Uh, As I speak to you today, Turning Point Radio is heard on over 3,000 radio stations in America. And you're helping us do that when you send your gift. And we thank you. I'm David Jeremiah. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's book, Living with Confidence in a Chaotic World and start living with a greater certainty in these uncertain times. The book is yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue living with confidence in a chaotic world on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with Airship Genesis Legendary Bible Adventures from Turning Point. Tune in to our monthly audio adventures and join the Genesis Exploration Squad as they travel back in time to experience the stories of the Bible firsthand and discover life-changing lessons. Also available is the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible packed with the biblical content specifically written for kids from trusted Bible teacher, Dr. David Jeremiah. You can also download our Airship Genesis mobile game on your favorite smart device and play as your favorite characters in this puzzle adventure game as the squad experiences the life of Jesus firsthand. Just go to your app store and type the keywords Airship Genesis. For more details or to order a copy of the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible, visit our website at airshipgenesis.com Bible. That's airshipgenesis.com slash Bible. If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. 
Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca.